Hi, this is Patty, and thank you for listening to this previously recorded episode of GalaxyCon Live. We'd also like to invite you to check out our other shows, Rock Around the Ring, featuring music and wrestling guests, and GalaxyCon Talks Comics, all of which are available now on Facebook, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are available. Welcome, friends and fans, to another edition of GalaxyCon Live, where we are bringing the convention experience directly to you. And today, we are going back to the final frontier with amazingly talented guests from Star Trek Enterprise. And now, without further ado, let's do bring out our guests we do have. First, he is an actor whose credits include The Man from Earth, True Blood, and The Nine. Today, he joins us to talk about his role on Star Trek as Dr. Flox. Please welcome John Billingsley. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. How are you? We are good, sir. How are you in your corner of the world? Peachy Keen. Now, I thought we were going to see Dominic first. He was wearing a cowboy hat, so I had to go find a hat, and this was the one that was closest at hand. Absolutely. As I joked earlier, John Billingsley is doing it animal style. I also have some uh, there. There's my there's my uh, impeach Bush button. I'll wear that there. I know that's like one president behind in terms of. <laughs> we uh, alienated half the audience before we've even gotten a minute in. Hey, that's it's Star Trek. It always will raise the discussion. The important there thing you is go. to keep it at a discussion. There you go. To talk to All talk. Right. That's, that's, that's always the message of Star Trek is that um, let's talk. Get me back on Next, he is an actor whose credits include Stargate, American Odyssey, The Purge. Today, he's here to talk about his role as Commander Charles Trip Tucker III. Please welcome Connor Trenier. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. John, you're a man of many hats at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he absolutely, absolutely is. So uh, how are you doing, young man? I'm good. I'm good. Just, you know, living the dream. absolutely let's please bring out our guest mr dominic keating hi it got a bit better it's not great but funny enough when i came back on and you were all live it was a lot better ah all right all right we can we can hear you all right outstanding well gentlemen thank first of all thank you all for joining us today what I'd love to do is I'd love to hear how each of your audition processes uh, were like and what uh, eventually got you landed on Enterprise. Who wants well, to see Brandon and Rick in a gay bar? Oh. <laughs> and the rest is history. Me too. I, that's pretty much everybody's story, I think. I, I Well, not the ladies. I don't know how they got auditioned. I, I have no idea. Maybe they were there for season drag shows. Maybe. I, I had easily the, the roughest road. Oh, this is a long story that I'll make as brief as I can. It's all good. Uh, make it long. Okay. So uh, when I auditioned for Enterprise, I had the great fortune, which I would feel now, of having three pilot auditions on that day, which roughly turned out to be about 25, 26 pages of dialogue. So I made an order of which one I was going to uh, spend more time on. Well, in the, in the coin flip, Enterprise lost. So I didn't really have much prepared. I didn't know my lines. And so I walked into my audition and did the audition. And and Ron Surma, God bless him, said at the time, he was like, Connor. He had this, he smoked a million cigarettes a day. Connor, okay. Can you go back outside and work on this for an hour and come back in? And I said, oh, God. So I went back to my 1968 Skylark which had no air conditioning. The windows wouldn't roll all the way down. Just sweating through my clothes. I go back in an hour later and it was an hour better, which wasn't much. So I got on my phone when I walked out of that audition, called my agent and said, hey, listen, 
I can't do three in a day. I just punted on third down with this audition and I feel terrible about it. Well, they called back and said they wanted to see me again. I don't know why. So this is audition number three. This time I go in and I've fully prepared and it goes very well. And then they call, and that's for a, that's for a few of the producers, Mary Howard, Brad Jacobian, and casting. And then they want to see me for, the next step would be studio. So I go in and I audition for the studio, and it's me and like five other really, really good looking guys. And I thought, huh, well, if they don't want to model. I was I, one of them. Dom was one of them. <laughs> he was almost Chip Tucker. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. So I was last in order. So I put my chair right next to the door because you could hear what was going on. And I was just knocking him down. I was like, no, he's terrible. He's terrible. He's terrible. And so when I went in, I also gave a, a, a really good audition, got past that round. And then it was network, which was then Brandon, Rick, everybody included, a room yeah. full of people. And uh, I did my audition, felt pretty good about it. Not as good as the previous one and got out. And got a call from my manager at the time. And he said, well, they're not really sure. You didn't show enough awe in the first scene. Aww. When you see the big ship, you know, they're in the, they're in the shuttle potties with the captain. And I, I said, well, can I go back in? I'll give, you know, I'll awe all over the just, room. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just come back in and just show awe. And just, and just go. All coming out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, they said, no, they don't want to see you again. And they didn't re-release the role, though, on the breakdowns. So mm -hmm. I kept asking, and he said, well, they're still, they're still thinking about you. Well, they only have a week. They took that whole week. Jesus. And at the end of that week, uh, I went to Mexico to drown my potential sorrows in tequila and uh, tortillas. And I got back that Sunday called my manager again, nothing. And then Monday, he called me up and he said, all right, well, I can't make the, the official word for this, but, but you're going to sleep all right. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to sleep at all. He's like, well, you got it, but we can't announce it yet. So it took me. <laughs> is that they wrote all the awe out of the fucking character? He never showed awe. And if you go back and you watch the four years mm. show, no awe, no fucking no awe. awe at no all. Awe. They accepted my lack of awe. Yeah, and they pretty much made the rest of us do a lot of the fucking awe for him. <laughs> I was constantly having to like fake awe and show awe, and like why can't fucking Connor show some fucking awe? Because he's terrible at it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dominic in the same audition time together. Yeah, we were kind of we were kind of backdoorish for the callback, but no, not at the. Uh, well, I, they don't they don't give you a lot of material frequently. Sometimes you get the yeah. full script. I just got a scene, and all it said was "come in with a slight alien accent," which I thought at the time was sort of one of the most preposterous directions ever. So I tried all these fake ridiculous accents on with my wife and. She just shot them all down. And finally, I thought, well, the thing that seems to make flocks flocks was that he was always joyous. So I thought perhaps in, in moments of, of joyous transport, he would squawk like a bird. So I went into the audition and I went, blah, 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 blah. And, and I got a callback. And I think, oh, OK, I guess I'm a bird. So I, I went in and uh, for the producers and I squawked like a bird and they give me the job. And I'm thinking, I'm a bird. I'm a fucking bird. And we go to the <laughs> 
and I squawk like a bird. And I, I turn to Brandon and Rick and I say, so I, I'm a bird, right? I'm a bird. I'm a bird. You're going to make me look like a bird. And they kind of go, well, I don't know. So up until the first day of fucking shooting, I have no idea. Am I a bird? Should I squawk? What do I do? I, I'm like flapping around in the backyard trying to think maybe I should like, you know, reading ornithological books. And and we get to the very first fucking take. I, I embellish this story slightly. And it's like, you know, lights, camera, action. And I go, blah, blah, blah. And James Conway, our director, says, cut. Quit fucking around, Billingsley. <laughs> Which is how I knew I was not a bird. That wasn't really so much the audition, but it was... Yeah. I, but like, was that just James in the moment making that decision? Because I could have been, I could have been a bird. I would, I would rate to be a bird. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Dominic, how was yours? Give me Dominic mimed his audition, which was really, I thought. That, that uh, was the studio audition, wasn't it? We, John. Yeah, that's I right. I heard you. Mm -hmm. You went in first. And uh, and I heard you squawking behind the double doors. And uh, when you came out, I, I sort of said to you, well, how'd it go? And he went, oh, this is pretty good. And I said, um, listen, I don't mean to be funny, mate, but did you squawk in that audition? He went, hmm? I went, did I? Quack, quack, quack. I went, oh, yeah, yeah, I just, I said, oh. Because, I mean, you know, if they don't like the way your eyebrows meet in the middle, you're not getting the job. Uh, so a big move like that was ballsy. Uh, I said, so how, why, why did you squawk? He goes, oh, I just figured that, uh, you know, Dr. Phlox, uh, the planet he came from, he was a bird. <laughs> like, Fucking eh? So, full marks, John. <laughs> yeah, I was on that first day of shooting, too, when Conway came around. <laughs> and poor John, we'd gone through the route through, I mean, the whole nine yards, and he oh, walked yeah. all the way. No one had said a fucking word to him. Yeah. I, I was trying and, real uh, hard. Yeah. If, no, if, it was no. almost like Conway was setting you up. I know. I think they were setting me up. I'm yeah. sure they were. No, Brandon has a Brandon is a wonderful guy. But he's he got like, to John straight in the face. Are you shitting me? Yeah. <laughs> Brandon Brandon brought yeah. this like zen quality that if he doesn't want to kind of tip his hand, you could like you know is that an earthquake, Brandon? <laughs> you know, I, I'm pretty sure that's an earthquake. Let's make John uncomfortable. You had a very makeup intensive role. Maybe not as many as other actors on Star Trek, but what, how many, how many makeup uh, uh, tests did you have to go through until they, they, they decided on the design? Oh, that's certainly not going to make me uncomfortable. I, I, when I actually <laughs> do a live convention, I challenge the audience oh, by saying so the person who asked me the most embarrassing question will get a prize, which I, I will I will offer again to the folks on this chat. Yeah. Um, but you know uh, that all that enlivens me in any case. Two and a half hours, roughly speaking. Um, okay. And there wasn't too much flapdoodle with the makeup tests. They you know they put you through two or three wax, but they really are kind of fine tuning almost out of the gate. Is the, is the chin too pointy? Should the eyebrows meet in the middle? Uh, again, I, I, I was fully expecting to be made up to look like a bird. So that yeah. concerns. It's like, I, I don't, I shouldn't I have some feathers or like some <laughs> or something? Who, who was that walking out of your closet there, Connor? That was my 14 year old boy. Look at how big he is. Oh, yeah. God. He just graduated from uh, middle school on, on Friday. Oh my God! Can well, you, congratulations! Can you, can you, can you, can you, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's going to be a freshman at 
Notre Dame next year. Whoa. Oh, I was going to say. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was like, wait, Who needs oh, high school? Where did he get his phones? Um, <laughs> maybe there's something he said about all these uh, taking everybody to the convid, making everybody taking the courses online at home. That's right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I have actually ever seen or met your kid, Connor. Really? Nope. Don't think so. Well, he's a handsome devil. Well, he's floating around, have him stick his head in. I want to see it. I want to see his face. Uh, he, he, is a, he is a 14 year old. He doesn't really, we'll see. He's shot. We'll wait. What we can book about that. Did he ever say to you, you know, I've never met John Billingsley. Uh, we've got to rectify this. He's never said that. <laughs> he's many times, many times. <laughs> the youth of America, I tell you. Yeah. What's been your What's been your favorite memory besides uh, how this day is going to end up? Probably. What's been your favorite memory of uh, of being associated with Enterprise? There's a there are there are, there are lots. Um, it's almost a collective thing. One, you know, that yeah. I would not be proud of, of of doing the show and being involved in the franchise. And ultimately, my favorite thing is when I hear people tell me that the uh, the effect that the show and the franchise has had on their lives. And it's always a positive one. It's, you know, I've, I've had conversations with people that, that the show saved their life. It's inspired them to become doctors, engineers, joining the military, what have you. I always, I, I, I get the most pride out of that easily. And the second one would be that the day I got the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a gig. It's it's not it's not an easy gig, but it's it's it seems like a pretty good gig. Yeah, it, it's a, the one that keeps on giving. You know, we get and, these opportunities to do this. You know, we get to speak with, uh, you know, uh, fans virtually at this point. But you know, every year I'm going to several conventions and 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 I'm meeting, you know, really interesting, high quality, intelligent people for the most part. And we were the show that killed the franchise, for God's sake. Well, we put it to rest for a minute. <laughs> um, you know, here's something. Here's something kind of interesting. Over the past past eighteen months to uh, two years, I've noticed in the chats and in discussions uh, at shows, people are reappreciating it. They are. They're uh, <laughs> fresh eyes are looking yeah. back at Enterprise, and they're really beginning to realize, oh, this it, was th it, it deserves a second chance. We came on after so many years of Star Trek, and in a number of those years, double dipping, you know, the Deep Space Nine actually overlapped with Voyager, for instance. And yep. I mean, I think by the time we aired, there was fatigue, you know, understandable fatigue. I think the show did really at least need a year off. And I always felt badly for, for Rick and Brannon that they weren't given that time. Yeah, I know that uh, they, uh, they were a gun was put to their head saying we always got to have a Star Trek going on. And okay. it was because if you look at it, I mean, I know they've said this and I, I really I sympathize with them that that the Bible for the show just needed a little more work. I mean, I think the notions were strong and I think the character development was was, you know, they, they had some clarity. But in terms of an arc for the first season, I think the Suleban maybe wasn't quite as thought through ultimately as it maybe needed to be. And I think there was probably a little bit more work needed on what the tonal balance was between the darkness of we're the first fucking ship and we don't know what the fuck we're doing and the nature of what Star Trek is supposed to be, the optimistic spirit. I felt like that yeah. tone, it, it was, it's hard. It's a hard tone to strike for what they were trying to do. It is. I also think that, you know, 
you can't ignore in watching our show the influence 9-11 had on us. And and to echo what you're saying, John, I mean, they were trying to, as everybody was, come to terms with what happened. And in, in regards to storytelling, involve that in into our show. And again, I think that you're 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 right that that things weren't quite fleshed out because they needed to address it in in some fashion. Yeah. And the studio itself also needed to kind of grapple with what it really wanted to achieve. I remember there was an early episode where a crew member is uh, transported and they come back and in the first draft, which we're not supposed to see, but I had a pipeline to the hair, hair makeup department, they would smuggle them to me. And I, I read the first draft, it was like pretty cool because the guy comes back and it's like his head is where it's supposed to be. It's like, ah, fuck! And we're afraid of a transporter. By the right. time, but by the time it emerges and we're shooting it, the guy comes back, transporter accident, and he's got a little twig sticking out of his forehead. And I thought that to me kind of early on crystallized where I think the timidity of the network actually fucked us. You know, to me, there was another level of scariness that the show began to want to move towards. And I felt like the powers that be said, bup, 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 bup. so, you know. Also, you have to acknowledge that our network in different regions across the country, you know, the show would be passed over on its scheduled date for a baseball game in St. Louis. You couldn't watch yeah. the show where Scott was from. Yeah, we, and, we went to uh, San Antonio for our first convention. I remember uh, Dominic, it was my first convention, and Dominic was there. And nobody showed up. It turns out they never aired it in San Antonio because Friday night was was college football night. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and that was that was even before the DVRs. I mean, you could you could video record something, but if it didn't show in your market, game over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, game over. No, game but over. I think, what I do think in the, in the last two years is that when it was put on Netflix. And people could could really bend it, give it cons- some consistency. That's what brought people back. Yes. And when Manny Cotto came on, I mean, it's no, I, I, absolutely no slight to Brandon and Rick, but they've been writing Star Trek for many years. For Manny, I think there was like a sense of like joyousness about, oh boy, I get to write Star Trek. Yeah. And he's a lover, an appreciator of the first uh, of the of the uh, first series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of these, you know, the the mirror universe and uh, how do the vault, how do the Klingons get their their you know new face? Yeah. A lot of those love letter episodes in the third and fourth seasons kind of came about because Manny really was actually deeply enamored of Star Trek, and I think it's a little bit like Michael Chabon right now writing mm-hmm. the hard show. You know, he's a wonderful writer, but he really really digs Star Trek, so there's a there's a deep investment. That goes right down to his his the, you know his core. Right. Yeah, and and again, I I I think the show definitely did find its legs if it didn't find its audience for the time. I think uh, you were your John, your character is certainly I think a breath of fresh air just in terms of canon. I understand there was some some people didn't react very well to the polyamorous nature <laughs> nature of the character. <laughs> I was the first gay fucking Star Trek character. I, yeah. I definitely tried to suggest. In my performance, that I I, I swung both ways. Actually, I yeah. swung. Both ways. <laughs> yeah, that way too. And the whole gender on on Denobula that people never even met. Yeah, and a, and a Con- Connor, of course, your you, trip, your 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 character, and I, I won't spoilers for anybody who hasn't gotten to the end of the series. But you have a really unique uh, character in Star Trek canon in the sense that we see a complete character arc, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, and I I. 
selfishly really uh, appreciated the fact that I was, you know, as an actor, you when you were able to tell the story, the complete story and, and finish the arc, that's so there's a lot of satisfaction in that. I think also I didn't I didn't have a lot of uh, experience in Star Trek. I had seen the original series, but I hadn't really watched much of of the other series. And so I, I there, there was no like way to do it for me. Yeah. I was sort of going out there trying to make a connection and, you know, do a, a scene right. So I didn't really carry any of that maybe institutional influence yeah. when I was walking into it. And if, and if nobody knows what happened to me, are they not on the internets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know. I, it's my job not to issue out spoilers, but my guests are free to always do whatever they like. I'm gonna. Uh, he almost fucks my wife, but he does not. You asked me to. Huh? I did. I begged you to. I, <laughs> I begged you to, and you wouldn't do it. One of the many moments when I just thought. Uh, <laughs> uh, not only do I not get a love interest, but when they give me a wife, she wants to fuck Connor too. <laughs> a character actor's life is a hard one. <laughs> Uh, speaking of playing with ourselves, uh, what was it like seeing yourselves uh, on the toy aisle? I, I have two of those, and one of them, it, you, it's a detachable head that I used to roll around for the cats to chase. They loved it. They, and then you, <laughs> and they loved. That's right. Yours came with two heads. I remember and, that. Uh, one of, you know, backing up to, you know, what are your proudest moments? The fact that I am a Christmas ornament <laughs> right up there. And I have, I have three of them, and they're up on the tree every year. Wow. Yeah. Nice, very nice. I want to hear the story about the bootleg spacesuit tape. <laughs> Dominic Keating's famous bootleg spacesuit tape. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, is was, this a story? Uh, that was on that show with uh, LeVar Burton directing it. When no, 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 it was David Livingston. Life. David Livingston. No, I think it was LeVar. I, I was there. I remember it vividly. You sure? It was on the yeah. Comet, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It was the it was the one where where Dominic has a remarkable ability to 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 kind of like mush epithets together in creative ways. And I'm he, he was in a he was in the spacesuit, and the spacesuits were miserably uncomfortable. And David Livingston, who I adore, was the director who was most inclined to take like shots up your nose and let me do the <laughs> extra shot from behind. Maybe I'll get a good ass shot that I can. And it's like David, we're in spacesuits. Yeah. And, Dominic made that point quite vocally. Yeah. Uh, are you sure? I thought it was LeVar's show and me and Anthony on the Comet, and I was trying to get that. that um, well, there may that, have been multiple. The case multiple. open with the gloves on. The one, the one that was. Gloves. The one that the sound um, department uh, taped. Anyway, I, you know, after that take, I don't know, it was getting up there, and I just lost it. Uh, sweating my tits off in that goddamn suit. And, uh, yeah, there were some choice four-letter words put in, in an order that most Americans had never heard of before. Hey, right. hey Jasper. 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 I'm Dr. Flox. I'm sure that... Jasper, I'm get in the honest. camera. I want to see that hair. Amazing head of hair. No, holy cow. Some, that's some COVID hair, dude. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations on your next level of higher education. Thank you. Uh, the, the, key, the key thing, though, is that this was taped, and it was a bootleg. Yes, anyway, thing. The, uh, the sound department, God bless them, they thought it's, um, you know, for payback at some point in the uh, series they were going to get me. 
And sure as shit, they taped uh, my outburst and they kept it. I mean, it, it was well saved. I mean, for another season, they'll change. And then we were shooting uh, something around the mess hall or something. And then out of the blue, these motherfuckers, <laughs> they just hit play. Uh, yeah. And uh, Dominic, there were a lot of guest stars on that show, oh, yeah. I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'd been, you know, on my best behavior. And all of a sudden, it was like, ooh, steer clear of him. <laughs> Do not uh, sit him at the lunch aisle. Ah, <laughs> uh, you, you know these British and, actors, uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, crazy. That tape is still somewhere around. Somewhere, um, yeah. Ron, yeah. Ron, uh, I think had it. Mm, yeah. uh, I think John will put a bounty on it uh, if anybody I can bring it. Love to have a copy of that tape. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. We got a we got That's a full team choice. now. Okay. So, so if we're good, let's go ahead. I We have some questions from the audience. Let's go ahead and roll them. So this one from Beth Trekkie. I believe you've all played good guys and villains. Which do you prefer? Flox may have been the villains. only good guy I've ever played, which is what I liked about him. I've usually yeah. played... I, I play child molesters frequently. I've molested more children. I was going to say... Anybody that you, in Hollywood you couldn't take all the child molestation out of Flox. No. No. <laughs> but I, I, I love Flux because he actually had a had a had a, 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 a buoyancy that uh, that uh, frequently I don't get to I don't get to uh, touch on in my evil roles. Mm. Yeah, I had the uh, uh, the luxury of you know just after Enterprise going and playing maybe the most evil man in the universe, which was Michael on Stargate Atlantis. So I got I got the opportunity of playing a very good guy and a very bad guy. Both are fun. I see uh, opposite of John. I'm typically a good guy, and but so it was a great deal of fun to be able to really just get in there and 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 play dark. Fair. But it's hard to see which one is more fun to do because it's all it's all about the material, really. I mean, you know, your bad guy can be horribly written and terribly directed, and you're screwed. Yeah, yeah, mustache twirling. So your bad guy in the mirror darkly was was legendary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we as actors, did, did you guys like the mirror? I, I've, I've actually, I, I've modeled a lot of dark guys on your dark guy. <laughs> <laughs> then you must have played a lot of pirates. <laughs> I, I did not you like really, you, should do a, you should do a master class in that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fans, I think, kind of dug the, the Mirror Universe stories more than I did. I, I, I thought they were kind of like it was all, you know, it was all effect and no point. Uh, maybe maybe they, they said that they if the show had continued, they would have gone back to that world and that would have been developed more. But oh. I, I, I kind of I, I found that to be sort of banal, to be honest with you. Those I thought stories. it was pandering. Yeah, I did too. Uh, but it was so, good fun, John. Well, so, uh, it was just good fun. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I thought those there there are a few episodes in the third season. There's some episodes I adored. There's some episodes in the third and fourth season that I thought were maybe a little too uh, too meta, you know, and, and kind of missed the, you know, like well, so so my experience in these mirrored darkly episodes was that, you know, I had this Captain Pike appliance that was literally the one that he'd been he'd been wearing. And I come in, Jolene's got her whole, you know, halter top cut off midriff thing and her hair's all kind of sexy and I'm coming in like this and 
I do the first um, rehearsal and Jim Conway, who did the uh, pilot, came back to direct that first episode of the, the Mirror Darkly episode. And I came in and I did the scene and I tried to sort of, you know, rough it up a little bit, make it somewhat different. And he said, said Connor, you, you got to go a lot further with this. And I just sort of like, you know, snidely went like, you mean like a pirate? And it goes, yeah, try it like a pirate. So take one. <laughs> cut. Print. No. Jim, I was kidding. And he was like, it's great. Moving on. But me, I couldn't be a fucking bird. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Beth, the Trekkie, thank you. Uh, Jude, what's next? From Christy. What development with your character would you like to have seen within an episode or more detail? You came very close to seeing Dr. Flox's Wee Wee in, in one what episode. development. And that was not uh, that was not shown. Not, not I I suggested there was a character an episode where Dr. Flox is walking around the ship naked. I said I should walk into the room, turn sharply to the left, and all the way across the room a, a flower pot should hit the ground. <laughs> which I think would have been detailed, but they said <laughs> so I, I, I was really, they, they threw things at me that always kept me on my toes. So I was pretty satisfied with uh, with what they usually did to me in, in the episodes. Yeah. Yeah, they, they ran you through. How about you, Dominic? Uh, if you could have uh, seen something with your character, what would it have been? I liked all that stuff I did at the end in uh, Section 31. That would have been fun to explore a bit more. I'm just thinking a couple more love interests would have been uh, would have been nice for Malcolm, I thought. And then, um, yeah, you know. Maybe one of the I was pretty happy with what they gave me to do. I wasn't expecting to get to do as much as I did, frankly. So Fair. it was um, it all worked out. Awesome. Christy, thank you. Good question. So, Jude, what do you have next? From Daisy. Star Trek, at its core, is a show about a better future where people are the best of themselves. What is a favorite act of kindness of yours? Oh, well, that's a good question. Yeah. Silence, because we are the three uh. kind people on Star Trek. It's an unfortunate question, because of all the kind people on Star Trek, unfortunately, you cut us. <laughs> uh, I, re I remember I did something kind in 20... No, 19, 1990-something. Yeah, but didn't they arrest you for that? I thought it was kind. <laughs> you know, I was in a minority. Right. <laughs> no, actually, I, 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 you start. Who did? Somebody. What are, you, what are you talking about, John? You've got the best thing going right now. Tell them what you're doing. I was about to say, yeah. Well, go ahead. Go ahead and talk about your project. This is a good. Uh, yeah. I, I'm the I'm the uh, president of the board of an organization called the Hollywood Food Coalition, and we uh, serve a uh, five course meal every night, seven nights of the week, to right now approximately 300 to 350 people who are living on the streets. And additionally, we have uh, the capacity to share food with other neighborhood groups. So we're sharing thousands of pounds of food a week with 28 or so other not-for-profits, alcohol, drug and rehabilitation centers, battered women's shelters, etc., to help sustain their food programs. And our ultimate goal is to build a food hub in Hollywood that can figure out all the different ways it could possibly get food to disadvantaged communities. So that's that's actually kind of a big part of my life. So you win on the act of kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I, I'm I'm also a sodomite. So uh, there you go. <laughs> it's all about balance. Not that there's oh. anything wrong with that. 
Hey, no. How do people yeah. find out in, more? In Roddenberry's oh, future, what? that's fine. As long as it's consenting else. I, I, I say that with all the love in the world. Hofoco.org, if you want to find out more. <laughs> H-O-F-O-C-O.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And I will happily reach out and tell you more than you ever could possibly want to know about this organization. I think that, you know, a, a, a favorite act of kindness would be supporting you know, not profits such as the ones that, that John's uh, involved with and, and running. You know, it's uh, being proactive about your sense of kindness, I think, is the best act of kindness. I would absolutely agree. That's very good. How about you, Dominic? Do you have a preferred method of expressing kindness or gratitude? Well, I just try and be nice as possible during the day. <laughs> yeah, and I take the high road. I mean, there's always a leaf out of Scott Bakula's book, frankly. You know, what would Scott do? <laughs> That's what I often find myself internalizing. Uh, he was a very, very kind, thoughtful man. And, um, yeah, I often find myself, what would Scott do in this situation, Dom? Do that, because my knee-jerk reaction is to bite your head off. <laughs> Generally speaking. <laughs> well... Daisy, thank you for that. I think we can all agree right now the world can definitely use all the kindness that we can give each other. And vote. Yes, and vote. <laughs> and vote. Cool. Uh, Jude, let's do another one. From number one Trek fan to all, do any of you resemble your characters in real life in any way? If so, how? Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John has got three penises. I've got three penises. Dewey, Dewey, and Louie. I, 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 I will say in all candor, and I'm, 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 I'm more flipped than I probably should be. That for me, what was really lovely about Picard <laughs> was it really was the closest approximation to who I like to think of myself as being uh, than any other part I've ever played. Somebody who was who, who fundamentally tried to figure out a way to be to be joyous, and that's a really hard struggle, particularly in this world we are living in. And I, I thought what was kind of admirable about Dr. Flox was that no matter how awful the situation was, he really would try and keep some sense of a global perspective, a universalist perspective that would allow him to transcend the darkness of the moment. And I, I, I wish I could be more like that, but I do think that is a, something noble to aspire to. And I was really pleased to get to kind of play somebody who embodied that. You know, Malcolm was based on, on a very young person of me. Uh, I, I come from an army background and I was actually set to sail to go to Sandhurst and become a, an under officer in uh, the British Army and then didn't. Uh, I actually went to spend six, seven weeks with the Scotch Dragoon Guards in Osnabrück in Germany and realised that uh, that life was not for me. I, I quite mm -hmm. enjoyed all the... Um, well, I don't know, the, the cowboys and Indians bit of it, really. Uh, uh, but yeah, Malcolm was based on a 70-year-old Dom who uh, was a member of the you know cadet force at the school I was at. And yeah, I, I hearkened back to him. Yeah, I was quite regimented back in those days. <laughs> no, Believe it or not. And that, that, that was the character, so you were the fit. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you have the luxury of playing a part for... Um, you know, multiple seasons, they usually get casting correct. They don't always, but, you know, the sort of like the, that's one of the reasons I think they kept bringing me back when I, when I attempted to not get this job over and over 
but they saw something, you know, and they see they see that kernel in you, that that I guess that essence of, of who you are, and they um, apply that they apply that essence to I, I believe in the writing, and uh, and I think that you have a certain amount of well on our show, not a great deal, but some influence as to how you know you come across. Absolutely, absolutely, no, this works. Number one trick fan, thank you for that, and I'll ask you to roll our next question from Metro Miller. Do you have a favorite? Funniest or most awkward moments on the set? Oh boy, this is a good one. So many, <laughs> so many. I won first prize at the uh, Halloween contest. Oh uh, yes, you did. And and that that might be my favorite Star Trek moment because uh, the the focus puller came in that day, and she was the dominatrix in a bondage pair, but her partner chickened out, so she was a dominatrix without a submissive. So I went to the wardrobe department and I said, can you, can you pull together some uh, kind of submissive costume for me? And I, was, I had my Dr. Flox head on and they came back, you know, they got a whole costume department to choose from. So I had like, you know, the black leather girdle and the red ball in my mouth and, you know, like the whole nine yards. And uh, I can't remember her name, the woman who, who was our focus puller. Melissa, right? Melissa. Yeah. <clears throat> Melissa, put Melissa. Me on a dog, Melissa put me on a dog collar and she kind of paraded me onto the bridge and she lashed me in the captain's chair. And uh, that, that was my favorite moment. I won first prize. I've never won anything in my fucking life. John, you're insane and I love you. <laughs> yeah, that was shocking. They then banned, I believe, a variety of things from a costume contest. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was unfortunate, I thought, but you know. Fetish wear being top of the list. Fetish wear. Oh, they, you weren't allowed to wear fetish wear while you were in while you were in makeup. Ah. It was mm. like bootleg pictures that nobody's really seen are Dr. Flocks in bondage, which I, I have in like a little brown paper envelope at certain conventions that I will. So you'd be willing to trade those pictures if we can dig up the recording of Dominic? Actually, I'm always willing to deal. Art of okay. the deal. Okay. All right. All right, everything's everything's negotiable. <laughs> How about you, gentlemen? I was in a scene with Scott where we were suspended because the ship was being taken over by this blobby, globby alien mass, and we're being suspended, and we're 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 covered in a combination of what they use to thicken McDonald milkshakes and KY jelly. And I'm convinced that we shut down the porn industry for a good two or three days with all of the KY. We were covered in it. In our ears, it was in our hair. But we're suspended. It's the last scene that we're doing. We've been up there so long that we've lost the feeling in our legs. They bring us down, and we kind of just crumple to the ground. They have to cut us out of our suits. And this is the only time this has ever happened to me. Every time you finish a scene, they print... They take a look at the lens to see if there's a hair in it. Oh, no. And Gary, God bless him, he just was like, you guys, I hate to tell you this, but there's an actual hair in the lens. And we thought he was joking. They had to get us back into these goopy suits and hoist us back up. And at this point, we're shivering for some reason. I don't know why, because our <laughs> circulation's all out of whack. Yeah. We get up there, we do it again. They they bring us back down, get us and and, and then the, to get KY jelly off of most of your body and out of your hair is not a one one shot deal. <laughs> it's not. 
Are you still are you, are you still getting KY jelly out of your ear? Is that what you're saying? Is that still a little? Yeah. Oh yeah. A little bit of yeah. Star Trek oh, night. Been uh, a weekend. Six days off and the checks still come. <laughs> Character <laughs> actor in the summer. Six days off and the checks still come. <laughs> um, uh, gone. <laughs> How about you, Dominic? Well, I don't know, um, embarrassing or not, but there was one morning Jolene and I had to do a scene in a, one of those sort of tunnels crawling through, and um, we were in our civvies rehearsing it. She had a very low-slung sweatshirt on, and at some point, I think I must have been leading the scene into the camera, I and we had to go back to number one and, and re-rehearse. And I turned around and she had not. And she was staring at me with this very low slung sweatshirt on with these two big boobies hanging there in front of my eyes. And she just looked at me and went, <laughs> bless her heart. And I have to say, I went, I blushed fuse red. I didn't know where to look. <laughs> goodness metro miller thank you that was a great one we have yeah, time i believe it we have time for one more question so i'll ask jude to roll out our last one comes from gatatum and question for the guest describe what star trek means to you well hey hey somebody else go first oh my house <laughs> <laughs> well a family a wonderful family now frankly yeah, that I'm very proud and uh, very, what's the word? Grateful to be uh, to be a part of. It's 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 been 20 years of our lives now, and what an extraordinary thing. I often say to Connor, you know, those years on that show uh, somewhat defined our lives in this town and uh, gave us a certain position and a place here that makes you feel like you were relevant in some way. And then just having the conventions all these years. I mean, literally all these years now that uh, bring us all back together. And uh, and it really is, it's a joyous thing. It's a, it's a very beautiful thing to have been a part of. And I'm always eternally grateful to the extraordinary longevity of the fans' support. And yeah, thank you very much. Absolutely. Nanu, nanu. <laughs> I could never do that. Oh, you can't? You have to go like that. Can't do it. Can't do it. Don't even try. Don't even try. I have no flexibility anywhere in my body. Moral <laughs> flexibility. You need more KY. Yeah. yeah. I've got it. Uh, for me, uh, Star Trek uh, has always meant, you know, finding the best in ourselves and, and acting on it. And um, the people that I've encountered who have been fans of Star Trek have really, you know, shown that. Um, and I, uh, I really believe that the message of Star Trek is, uh, is an important one. And especially now, you know, go out and uh, make contact and make new relationships and be good. Or try, try as best as you can, because you're going to fail, because you're going to fail. But that doesn't mean that the effort isn't important. Fair. And money. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fair. Yeah, it's hard to answer this question without, I don't know, you, you, you walk in a bajillion footsteps 
in answering this question because it's been asked and answered a bajillion times and you're always looking for some way to answer it and still sound sincere and not canned. It's really, really hard to do. Everything both the fellows said is absolutely right. I guess as I kind of think about as a cultural artifact, something that has lasted as long as it has from 1966, 2020, it's almost 60 years of a tentpole and along the, 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 the architecture of Star Trek, there are, have been many houses that have been built. And I, I think it's very rare and interesting for cultural construct to survive for that long through so many periods, uh, you know, with, with as much reinvention that has taken place. I'm really quite elated to see that Star Trek has has attempted particularly of late to grapple with the darkness of our culture and the darkness of our world while still honoring what the original intent and mission of Roddenberry was. And I think if anything, maybe one of the things I look back on at our show and I, I, and I kind of think that that was the beginnings of a, of a, a movement towards asking those questions. We didn't go as far as we could have nine 11 kind of maybe, you know, skewed the experiment a bit. But I do think when I look back at our show and what Star Trek means to me, what our show means to me, I feel like we were on the cusp between a Star Trek that was, I don't want to say pre-modern, but that was pre-the horrors (laughs) and the horrors. (laughs) 9-11 being a significant horror in our modern world that has forced us to recalibrate Roddenberry's message. I think those are all absolutely fair. Gatachan, thank you so much. And GalaxyCon viewers, this has been my time with the cast of Star Trek Enterprise. Panelists, before we go, any final words? These are strange times. I I hope that everyone is uh, staying safe, staying healthy, doing the right thing in regards to the pandemic. You know, like, like John said, it's hard to not feel like you're doing some sort of canned, pick your favorite phrase something like this. But at the end of the day, be kind, hug the people that you can, connect with people that you can't hug, and, uh, you know, stay human. Uh, I was going to plug the Hollywood Food Coalition, but having already done that, I think I will plug one other thing instead, which which, which is um, um, uh, read. We will read. 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 One of the things I didn't get to talk about today was uh, both – Dominic and Connor are are wonderful readers, and I was always so happy to spend time with them because invariably we could start a conversation by saying, what are you reading? You know, one of the things to me is that is happening to us is that we are living in a world because we spend a lot of time on screens that we are losing our ability to read deeply. And when you don't read deeply, you don't think deeply. And I, I think it's a, it is a part of our cultural heritage, part of our intellectual heritage. Human beings have only really been kind of, you know, post, post, oh, for 5,000 or so years. Mm-hmm. Literature, words, books, stories make us. So if I have a final word, I guess I would say the love of my life is reading books. I would be derelict if I didn't encourage people to do what they can to keep civilization alive by doing the same. Uh, anything particular you're reading right now? Oh, yeah. Right now I'm reading uh, a great book by David Gilbert called And Sons, which is about a, uh, a Salinger-esque writer 
and his tortured relationship with his children, which is is, is very good. But I, I would I would say Maria Semple, wonderful writer. She wrote uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? This is her first book. Tom Holland, Persian Fire, great book mm. about the Persian Wars. Wonderful historian. Oh, okay, I got to write that down. Uh, he is marvelous. Tana French, terrific mystery writer. I had these at hand because I knew I wanted to talk about this. Diana <laughs> Athill. Great memoirist, wrote a wonderful book about her years in the publishing industry and the best book about growing old I've ever read called Somewhere Near the End. I oh, can Growing Old? Hold on. Growing Old. Vida, wonderful book about Latin American experience. Which one's that? My Stroke of Luck, Kirk Douglas. Ah, there you go. wrote after us, too. Yeah, I just picked that. This, is, this has been my convid uh, reading. Those my parents my just mailed me. Uh, it's, a, it's a trilogy about the Civil War by... Bruce Catton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 They, they loved him. I, I can't wait to break those open. Yeah. Those are great. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, thank you all so much for joining us. Gentlemen, this has been a great chat. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care and keep washing those hands. Bye-bye. <laughs>